Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.42 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 11th of January, 2022. This is episode 523 of Bitcoin. And if you'd like to support the show, please do it via Podcasting 2.0. Either use your Breeze wallet. You can use Sphinx Chat. You can use Fountain. You can use one of any number of Bitcoin Podcasting 2.0 enabled apps to be able to Get my podcast, stream me Satoshis while I stream you these dulcet tones on this day, this Tuesday of the new year. So let's start it off, babies. Uh, We got this one out of Bitcoin Magazine. Instant Bitcoin, my first 30 days on lightning. This is written by Tyler Parks. And this is a journal of my experience with Lightning that will be useful to any newcomers to Bitcoin or Lightning. As a disclaimer, there are many more ways to do things that I have shown here. There are a range of products and solutions for getting started, some more complicated than others. While there are certain standards and best practices for using Bitcoin and Lightning, the only way to get better is to jump in wherever you feel comfortable and learn a lot as you go. So before diving in, it's good to have an understanding of the difference between Bitcoin Layer 1 and Lightning, i.e. why Lightning exists, its own trade-offs and special considerations. This this post specifically pertains... God, my God, I'm having a hell of a day this morning, aren't I? This post specifically pertains to operating Lightning channels. Effective channel management can be a rabbit hole all its own, but before we can make sense of it, let's establish some key concepts. Read and contribute to the PlebNet resources and discussion. Being a node operator will come with an upfront investment but pays dividends in knowledge and experience. You got to think long term here. For routing, focus on peer selection, uptime, and liquidity management. Note. You don't have to be a large routing node in order to enjoy the benefits of using Lightning. Merchants can accept Lightning payments for their businesses, and as an end user, you can make Lightning fast payments on your own terms. And that alone is reason enough to run a node. I'm using a Raspberry Pi along with one of the well-known node starter packages. One thing I didn't know before joining PlebNet was the importance of having an uninterruptible power supply or battery backup. And this is a must for avoiding outages. And I'm going to pause right here and talk a little bit about PlebNet, just so you know. Uh, Telegram group on PlebNet, or Jesus Christ, PlebNet group on Telegram. That's what, that's your main uh, entry point into the PlebNet world. It is literally named PlebNet. So you go to Telegram and you look for plebnet and once you get in uh you'll find all the plebs that are you know kind of like running around doing lightning stuff and they're very very helpful and most of them if you if you're on bitcoin twitter and i am not still um you will recognize many of the names uh from bitcoin twitter over on plebnet so it's a good group of guys all right <clears throat> my primary lightning tools thus far have been thunderhub and balance of satoshis I was also a complete noob to Linux, and so if you're inclined at all, I recommend learning the basics of the Linux command line as it really helps to understand what's going on under the hood as you click around on fancy UI. My first channel was a small one with a capacity of 150,000 Satoshis as I needed to get or first get on the network graph, and this helped to go through the motions of opening a channel and watching the funds move. My first lightning payment... Well, it felt like magic. 
I proceeded to open larger channels and was careful to select peers who I trusted. Trust in the sense that I took the time to qualify their reputation in the community. My peers have a track record of being honest Bitcoiners as well as competent node runners. Yes, Lightning is designed to be trust minimized, so you should be able to connect with strangers. However, I wanted to reduce the chance of costly scenarios and downtime due to poor node management by unvetted peers. A routing node requires both inbound and outbound liquidity. One way to acquire inbound is by doing what is called a loop out. In the beginning, I was looping out channels one by one in order to balance the liquidity. I did so at my own cost so as not to inconvenience my channel partners. I later learned, after reading the Voltage series on routing nodes at blog.voltage.cloud, that a better way to get started is to open as many outbound channels as you can and loop out multiple channels at the same time. Lightning Terminal figures all this out for you. I did a loop of several million sats at once, and I will say that got my heart beating momentarily. In general, I try to move coins around in smaller quantities. That way, all your funds aren't tied up at the exact same time. I also used my own strike wallet to perform loop outs, but since the sats arrive as dollars on the strike app, I suffered exchange fees by having to convert them back to Bitcoin. In either case, the cost to loop out is still remarkably small, around 20 to 30 basis points. Note that I chose to loop out channel funds in order to create a balanced liquidity profile of the node. This service comes at a cost, so going forward I plan to do free liquidity swaps and simply add or remove channels as needed. Looping out is useful in the beginning to bootstrap liquidity, but otherwise not necessarily to do for every channel. In addition, you can always just purchase inbound channels and avoid the technical details. I had nine or ten channels open when I first saw uh, my or when I saw my first forward going through, and I was ecstatic. I set my fees to be fairly low, but enough to potentially recoup channel cost if all the funds were forwarded at one time. While my goal is to achieve a low-maintenance node with organic flow, I certainly noticed the forwards were primarily one way through a small number of routes. This is where rebalancing and fee adjustment matters. For the first 30 days, the node had 26 forwarding events at an average of 144 ppm, and this amounted to 60% of the node's liquidity Earnings were only 1,300 Satoshis, not much, but hey, it's satisfying nonetheless. At a high level, the costs include a certain chain fees, routing fees, and lightning-related service charges, and that's not to mention the cost of hardware. The cost of chain fees includes not only channel opens and closes, but also deposits and withdrawals to the lightning wallet. The routing fees paid largely came from performing the loopouts and routing fees can rack up the more sats you have to move. I also made two payments to a few friends with my node which incurred routing fees. I started a spreadsheet to help track expenses in each category. This helps to reconcile the balances that the node is showing on screen. Records indicate I've paid around 29,000 Satoshis out of pocket after all the channel opens and loops. Specifically, BOS, <clears throat> balance of Satoshi, is telling me I spent around 4,000 sats in chain fees and over 25,000 in routing fees. It's hard to be exact because I had to attempt to account for sats eaten up by exchange fees. There was also some initial confusion around commit fees and channel reserves, which are funds you own but are not reflected in the available channel balance. It's vital that you get used to doing accounting in Bitcoin terms, although to what order of precision is always a personal choice. Comparatively, I paid a lot more sats to get my channels up and running than I have earned in routing fees, but keep in mind the cost of bootstrap liquidity should be a one-time cost. Not only that, but the funds in a channel can move back and forth endlessly, allowing a channel to route many multiples of its capacity over the life of a channel, I would say 25,000 sats was well worth the investment in education. My goal for next month is to increase node capacity by 20% and see positive net earnings. Looking ahead, these are some of the areas of interest. One, explore batched channel openings and channel funding from cold storage. Two, how might using multiple Lightning Network wallets or nodes facilitate liquidity management? 
Three, experiment with automated channel management tools. And finally, four, improve security, reliability, and uptime. For help, don't hesitate to ask questions. The plebs and I will be happy to assist. Again, that was Tyler Parks, uh, part of the PlebNet group. Again, PlebNet on Telegram. Just go to Telegram, start searching around for PlebNet. You'll find it. Now, what to say about this individual's uh, path through the Lightning Network so far? Well, the Lightning Network is, can, or rather not is, but can be confusing. Why? Well, it's nascent. I mean, we're, you're talking about breaking new ground. It's not like this thing is old as dirt or something like that, and we know all the ins and outs. We're discovering what we've built. See, and that's, that's, that's a real issue, man. <clears throat> like, you could build a house. And if you want to start planting stuff around the house that you've built, what you probably didn't do is build the house and plan out where all the shade and all the light is going to be given the houses, the, the structure of the house and how it interacts with the sun. So what you find is that even though that you completely planned the house and you completely built the house and it, it was built according exactly to instructions, like exactly the way it was supposed to be, you're going to discover things about the environment that is reacting with the house that you built. So just because you built something doesn't necessarily mean that everything is known. No, far from it. You get it, you build a house and all of a sudden you're like, ah, shit, that bush that was over there by the fence, uh, when I tore the house down and built this new house, I've, I've completely bathed this bush in shade and turns out that bush needs one, like the most sunlight of anything on your property. Well, you built the house exactly to plan, but you didn't plan on that. All right, so this is sort of the way that not only the, the Lightning Network um, how we're learning how to use what we've built, it's, it goes for everything. Like we're still learning how Bitcoin works, right? If you think you know exactly how Bitcoin works, you're wrong. Nobody knows how Bitcoin works because nobody knows how it's affected the landscape that it has been planted upon. It's built the way Satoshi wanted to build it. It's kind of changed a little bit, not a whole lot. Uh, uh, some people will be going, oh, are you insane? Of course it's changed a whole lot. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think that that's up for debate insofar as what your personal beliefs of massive changes are. I don't think it's massively changed. I do think it has changed, but I am saying that, that what's, what's really interesting is the landscape that Bitcoin has been planted into. Where does the shade fall? Has it affected the light? What can we plant around it? How can we get that off? What is it? How does it affect the soil? You know, there are many <clears throat> allegories here that we could delve into, but we're not going to because we're going to talk about Joe Rogan and Adam Curry's interview on the Joe Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan says he's got a lot of hope for Bitcoin. This is by Namcios out of Bitcoin Magazine. Joe Rogan has a lot of hope for cryptocurrencies, but mostly Bitcoin, though he said he doesn't understand it very well. The podcaster interviewed internet entrepreneur and podcast pioneer Adam Curry on the 1760th episode of the Joe Rogan Experience Show on January the 8th, talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and beyond. Quote, what we're seeing right now is it's either going to fall apart completely or we're going to use this as an opportunity to right the ship and come up with a better way to live our lives, Rogan said after mentioning that he sees Bitcoin and Ethereum as the two main projects. Quote, well, the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin will only ever have 21 million. It cannot be changed, Curry explained. Quote, it cannot be inflated and you cannot say the same for Ethereum, end quote. Curry highlighted how he is the sole or a sole believer in Bitcoin and dismisses most of the other cryptocurrencies because BTC is the only project with an actual limited and unchangeable supply, which according to him is a central and dividing aspect in his assessment of cryptocurrencies. Quote, I'm just on the Bitcoin train because I believe my money is safer there, Curry said. The money system is broken. It causes inflation, misery. It causes wars because it's linked to oil. So we have to protect all that, end quote. 
<clears throat> the internet entrepreneur added that there's no CEO of Bitcoin, which prompted Rogan to ask whether Ethereum had one. Quote, if you look at the history of Ethereum, changes can be made, Curry responded. I wish Namcios had taken that to his logical conclusion because there was a lot more said in the interview. Uh, and I don't listen to the Joe Rogan experience very often. It, it's got to be somebody who I really, really know, really, really want to listen to. Not that I don't like Joe Rogan. I do. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a badass. It's just that I got way too many podcasts to listen to from freaking plebs and, and everybody in the Bitcoin space that it's really hard for me to reach out and, and you know, listen to podcasts that have absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. But another thing that was said in this interview that should be mentioned, and it was right up front, like, I mean, they dove right into it directly, was Modern T-Man's um, <clears throat> um, project for the Texas Beef Initiative and Beef Initiative. Uh, he's kind of, he's kind of use, using both terms. Beef Initiative, if you see hashtag Beef Initiative, that's Texas Slim. If you see Texas Beef Initiative as a hashtag, that's also Texas Slim. And it, it so... Adam Curry had interviewed uh, Modern T-Man a while back on not not his general podcast, but on one of his other podcasts. And um, he apparently he got orange or he got beef pilled by Modern T-Man. Good job, Slim. Um, so 50 million people now understand a couple of things. What the beef initiative is, what it intends to do, why it's important but also stuff like how canola oil is just industrial sludge. And if you're eating food fried in it or prepared with it in some way that you're really doing your, your gut a disservice as, and your gut basically is in my opinion, at least one third of your brain. Don't believe me. Start, go to DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever it is that you got to do and uh, talk about gut or, or ask uh, or search for gut intelligence gut neurons, gut, um, oh, how's, how's to say it? Um, there's a, let me just say it this way. There's a lot of neurons in your gut. In fact, there's more neurons in your gut, <clears throat> not, not, there's more neuron in your gut than you think. And there's so much of it that it's not impossible that there is some thought process going on below your neck. Yeah, I know. It, think about that for a little while. So when you have a gut feeling, it's your second brain. If you're feeding pure garbage into your gut, it's you're probably confusing yourself. And there's a lot more that goes into that, but we won't do that now. Uh, we got other fish to fry, but I'm just saying it was great to see Adam Curry basically beef pill 50 million people on the Joe Rogan podcast into one of our local boys who's doing good. So congratulations, Texas Slim, on getting the word out as fast as you did. Let's move on to Joseph Hall writing for Cointelegraph. Block job postings reveal Jack Dorsey's Bitcoin plans. In two recent job postings on LinkedIn, Jack Dorsey's block, formerly Square, revealed the group's plans to develop the next generation of mining ASICs and make a hardware wallet for the next 100 million Bitcoin users. The two roles are based at Block's headquarters in San Francisco and were added to the job posting platform in the last 24 hours. For the role of the custom digital design lead, the candidate will help silicon validation of the ASIC and its prototype. An ASIC is a small machine that can be used for Bitcoin mining and is considered the best option for Bitcoin network security. The new job posting confirms that Block sets out to develop purpose-built ASICs for BTC mining. The second vacancy is for the hardware wallet's global fulfillment and logistics lead. At the job's core is bringing easy-to-use, reliable self-custody to a global audience. Ultimately, Block seeks to distribute its hardware wallets to over 100 countries. The news aligns with Dorsey's announcement made in 2021. Back when Block was called Square, Dorsey tweeted, quote, Square is considering building a Bitcoin mining system based on a custom silicon and open source for individuals and businesses worldwide, end quote. 
Back in July, Square claimed to be developing an assisted custody BTC hardware wallet, and it appears the plans are now coming together. Block is hold is sorry, Block is the holding name for Square, Cash App, Spiral, Title, and TBD 545-66975. Title music streaming services aside, each company is dedicated to furthering Bitcoin adoption and economic empowerment. Among Block's suite of companies, there are 650 jobs available around the world. For Block, there are several live listings for state public policy leadership positions across the United States, as well as the two aforementioned product-related roles. Since stepping down as CEO of Twitter, Dorsey has been vocal in his support for Bitcoin while outspoken in his opposition to Web3, sometimes with varying results. Following a series of well-aimed tweets, he was stuck between a block and a hard place after he had tweeted that venture capitalists own Web3. Mark Andreessen, CEO of Andreessen Horowitz, swiftly blocked him. However, he is also winning over NBA stars, including NBA champion Andre Iguodala and Clay Thompson, who will receive some of their salaries in Bitcoin using Block's Cash App. And I got more on that here in a minute. Uh, but what to say about Jack? I'm okay. After my Twitter ban, apparently I ain't the only, you know, ain't the only one that was purged on this latest round of, of Twitter on, I'm on Gitter right now, as well as uh, bitcoinhackers.org. That's Rodolfo Novak's instance of Mastodon. I'm seeing a lot of people that I knew from Twitter just kind of gently pouring in. I saw another one yesterday come in saying, well, I finally got blocked from Twitter. Uh, this morning I read uh, one of my well-known uh, contacts saying that it's not going to be too much longer before they, they think it's not going to be too much longer before they're blocked off of Twitter. So here's, here's the thing. Go, and this actually kind of goes back. I want to start going back to the uh, Adam Curry, Joe Rogan um, interview. Adam Curry and Joe Rogan seem to think that Jack has taken Blue Sky with him, and I don't think that that's the case. If I am wrong, can somebody please correct me? Because I think here's the way this rolls out. First of all, Blue Sky is a project that was started by Jack Dorsey while he was CEO at Twitter, and it was supposed to develop protocols for an open source, open platform, social media um, thing that, well, actually, I think it was supposed to be uh, protocols that all social media could leverage upon, but then he was also supposed to build, they were supposed to build some kind of like completely free speech platform that wasn't able to, people are not able to delete your ass off of it, you know, that kind of thing. It, here's the thing, is that I, I'm pretty sure that Jack Dorsey did not take Blue Sky with him. I'm pretty sure that Blue Sky is actually still all the way over there at Twitter, and you know they're not going to do anything with it. They are too drunk on being able to tell everybody under the sun what they can and cannot say. And if you do say it, they're going to delete you. And apparently they get off on telling their customers to fuck straight off. Because honestly, that's what I am. I was a customer of Twitter. Now, what? I, I'm not a client. I am a customer of Twitter. And I am no longer a customer of Twitter because the people that I was doing business with decided that they didn't want to do business with me anymore. And they're doing that to the tune of thousands of people a day. They're just culling their user base. I don't get it. I mean, if I was like in a position where I was like looking at how many people we were cutting off of the network, I'd be like, hold, hold, hold on there, brothers. This is our bread and butter. Without these people, we don't have a business. So we need to stop doing that. And of course, I probably would have been ousted either, you know, in either event. I, I kind of think that Joe Rogan and Adam Curry have got this wrong. I have been waiting for something to come out of Jack Dorsey as a replacement for Twitter, or at least an attempt at a replacement for Twitter. I'm not so sure if that's going to happen at this point, but I'm still waiting. I'm also, by the way, still hopeful that it does happen. Bitcoin and businesses. What is your Bitcoin strategy? Uh, this is Heidi Porter, Mark Maria 
and, or Maria and Colin Crossman out of Bitcoin Magazine. With the mainstream coverage of Bitcoin increasing radically in 2021, more people are realizing that Bitcoin is a savings technology unlike anything seen in their lifetimes. As such, it opens up new avenues of thinking that allow you and your business to allocate capital differently than anyone previously thought possible. In an interview with Michael Saylor, Ross Stevens, a CEO of, of a New York Digital Investment Group, said that the most important job of any CEO in this inflationary environment is capital allocation. Why risk your hard-earned capital on stocks or put them in bonds with negative either real or nominal yields when you have Bitcoin as an option? For those who have not yet done their homework, Bitcoin appears to be an extremely risky asset. This article is not for them. This is for the person or leader of an organization who has done enough homework on Bitcoin that they see much greater risk in having zero allocation to Bitcoin. As Lynn Alden said in the November 23rd, 2021, What Bitcoin Did podcast, quote, People have different numbers for how much Bitcoin is right for them, but zero is not the right number for most people anymore. For people with high conviction, they don't want to own anything but Bitcoin, and they're willing to accept crazy drawdowns and crazy doubling and tripling in prices. Whereas others with less conviction and volatility tolerance, it's about putting Bitcoin into their assets at a non-zero number, end quote. Businesses of all size need to ask themselves the question, what is our Bitcoin strategy? There are a few main areas where businesses can benefit from Bitcoin. One, Bitcoin on the balance sheet, which allows the business to have an appreciating asset of Bitcoin rather than a deprecating or depreciating asset of cash on hand. Two, implementing a payment and marketing strategy with reward cards that reward in sats. Three, accepting Bitcoin as payments, which allow businesses to cut out or reduce high merchant account monthly and transaction fees. And finally, for giving employees the option of being paid in Bitcoin. These are some implementation options that require a Bitcoin strategy to make Bitcoin work for your business. This article will focus on some aspects of a Bitcoin strategy for the first item of the list, capital allocation towards Bitcoin. If you are the owner or CEO or even part of a partnership of a company, what is your Bitcoin strategy and what are the prices of a Bitcoin strategy for your balance sheet? Let's start with a few pieces of strategy. Educating other owners, stakeholders, and sometimes employees. Doing the math on capital allocation to Bitcoin and determining your percentage allocation to Bitcoin. Deciding whether to use cash or loans for Bitcoin allocation. Determining a strategy for buying Bitcoin. When putting together your strategy, you can start with these areas and put some plans in place. Education about Bitcoin is key and is not just a one-time effort. So what's your, what's your strategy for education about Bitcoin? What is your strategy for managing expectations and volatility? What if one or many stakeholders are not aligned with the Bitcoin strategy for the balance sheet? And how do you and any stakeholders decide whether to sell or hold, or buy more Bitcoin? How do you and the stakeholders do the math to help determine your capital allocation to Bitcoin? How much purchasing power are you losing or gaining each month? Assume that inflation is somewhere between 6 and 16% at the time of this article. If your cash is earning zero interest and essentially losing 6 to 16% value due to inflation, should you be thinking about the math as follows? a collateralized loan you are paying 6 to 16% interest on, a depreciating asset where you cannot write off the depreciation or sell it above the depreciated value, a credit card charging 6 to 16% interest. Technically, cash on your balance sheet is a liability, not an asset. When thinking about strategy and allocation, run the numbers with your cash and actual <laughs> and presumed inflation numbers. Next, run the numbers next to Bitcoin appreciation over the last 10 years. These numbers can help you look at the reality of the true purchasing power of your cash on hand and the loss that is occurring next to the possible appreciation of Bitcoin. Understanding these numbers can help you realize the risk you are taking by leaving your money in cash. After you've looked at the numbers, you need to decide on a percentage allocation to Bitcoin. One risk factor here is 
what is your usual risk appetite for other assets? What is the risk of even higher inflation and more loss on your cash assets? What's your time horizon? Bitcoin is the short in the short term can be volatile, and so an allocation should take future cash needs into consideration. So how much cash do you need to be liquid? When do you foresee needing to sell Bitcoin for cash? What about unexpected expenses? Are there other means of paying? When you're ready to buy, part of the strategy is the timing of when you buy. Do you dollar cost average? Do you buy your prescribed allocation immediately or do you do something in between over a prescribed business time period? These questions also bleed black or sorry, these questions also bleed back into your risk tolerance. One thing to keep in mind here is that engaging in all this Bitcoin activity has the potential to generate some tax liability. Of course, you'll need an accountant for that and a good Bitcoin knowledgeable CPA will be an important part of your planning. But consider that even paying taxes on the USD gain of Bitcoin sales will not significantly impair the benefits received by preventing the loss of purchasing power due to inflation. The questions and numbers in this article are part of a Bitcoin strategy for your business. And just like a business plan, it's important to have a Bitcoin strategy plan. In future Bitcoin and business articles, we'll talk about options for your business to buy Bitcoin for its balance sheet, as well as how businesses are getting creative with perks by allowing payments that generate Bitcoin rewards. It all starts with a strategy and a plan. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities has flammable liquids on fire yet again, uh, up 1.39%. West Texas Intermediate, $79.32. Brent North Sea, likewise, up 1.29% to $81.93. Natural gas seeing a small dip, 0.61% to the downside, $4.05 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up 1.2% to $2.30 a gallon. All your shiny metal rocks are shining. Gold up a half point to 1800. Hey, it's over 1800 again. Finally, $1,808 to be exact. And silver also up 0.86% to $22.65. Platinum is up over a point. Copper is up almost a point. And palladium is up scant at 0.02%. Agricultural futures are mixed. Wheat up 0.39, sugar up almost a full point, coffee up a half point, cotton up 0.64. Our losers today are soybeans, but not by much, but rough rice having a rough time, 0.0, or sorry, actually 0.69% to the downside. Uh, Dow futures are down 0.57, S&P futures down a quarter, NASDAQ futures up 0.15, and S&P mini is down almost a full half percentage point. Real money has Bitcoin at $41,524, 280,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That is 11,670 transactions on average per hour. 586,000 BTC have been sent over the horn in the last 24 hours. The average uh, sent per hour is 24,500 BTC. The average transaction value is 2.09 BTC. Median transaction value coming back up 0.016 BTC or $662. Block times are a bit high, 10 minutes, 22 seconds. 0.09 BTC taken in fees in the past 24 hours and 12.5 BTC taken in fees in the past 24 hours. Uh, hash rate has dropped 2%, but we're still above 170 at 172.65 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as usual, 0.15 USD or 15 shiny crappy pennies. We have 9,000 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. Uh, $790.9 billion is the market capitalization of Bitcoin's market. 
and that is 6.65% of gold's entire market cap. And you can get 23.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,925,929. of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $139.4 million. Uh, that's being run over 18,823 nodes sporting 83,789 payment channels and a new all-time high for Tor capacity at 76.1% of all lightning traffic is now running over Tor. That's 2,535.16 BTC handled by 11,760 Tor nodes and that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We have Namcios here writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin is half of Bill Miller's portfolio. This should be interesting. Legendary value investor Bill Miller said in an interview that Bitcoin provides an insurance to financial catastrophe that no other asset can provide and is the only investment that can increase in value by 10 or 50x. Miller also said half of his personal investment portfolio is allocated to Bitcoin and Bitcoin related companies, including Bitcoin miner stronghold and software intelligence company, MicroStrategy. He explained that despite the common beliefs around portfolio asset diversification, most billionaire investors allocations are very concentrated due to a strong confidence in the value of that investment. For Miller, that investment is Bitcoin. Miller is the founder, owner, and chief investment officer of Miller Value Partners, LLC, a $3.1 billion registered financial advisor that provides investment management services for high net worth individuals, institutions, as well as private funds. Miller also holds the record for most consecutive years outperforming the S&P 500 between 1991 and 2005 with the Leg Mason Capital Management Value Trust Fund a total of 15 years. He said he bought Bitcoin for the first time after a talk by an Argentinian Bitcoiner who in 2014 presented the case for BTC as a hedge against government's loose monetary policies and authoritarian stances by sharing his family's story, whose wealth got debased or confiscated by the government in four different occasions over 150 years. The first time Miller bought Bitcoin, the peer-to-peer -peer money was trading for around 200 bucks. And he said he didn't add more exposure until the Chinese ban of Bitcoin mining led to an over 50% correction in the Bitcoin price, dropping below $30,000 after having set a new all-time high of around $66,000 in the previous month. Miller said he added a fair amount of Bitcoin to his portfolio at $30,000 in addition to SDIG and MSTR and other Bitcoin-linked companies. Quote, in the United States, Franklin Roosevelt confiscated everybody's gold in 1933, Miller said, when asked why he invests in Bitcoin since he lives in the U.S., which is supposedly stable and not in a country like Argentina. Quote, you had to turn it in or you went to jail, end quote. Miller went on to highlight that differently than gold, they can't confiscate your Bitcoin, providing a unique store of value that stays in control of its owner, regardless of who's in office and what their agenda is. So if Bill Miller is not lying through his teeth and he really does have Bitcoin and Bitcoin related companies as half of his personal investment portfolio. Yeah, people should probably start listening and they probably are. What's going on with the price right now? I can't say. It's, I, I, I dare I say it, it looks like manipulation. You know, you can ask Peter Schiff about gold price manipulation, but somebody, in my opinion, somewhere or a group of people are actively trying to suppress the price of Bitcoin to this 42,000, between 40 and $42,000 range. And I don't honestly know why. Why would you give a shit? just let the price rise. But maybe it's because Bill Miller has got a lot of friends that can suppress the price. 
and he wants to just be able to stack and stack and stack and stack and stack. So the question becomes, when does the pressure release? The second question, and probably the most important question is, is this an asset that is worth it if it can be suppressed? What asset in the world cannot be suppressed? Has there ever been one? We can talk about how Bitcoin is, is the greatest thing since sliced cheese, and it is. Believe me, I'm a believer. I've been doing this for a while. And I'm not going to just start going, oh, well, now it's Ethereum. No, that's never going to happen. Everything gets suppressed. If you have an open market for a thing, that thing's price can be manipulated. I think there are assets in the world where the price can be more manipulated than others. Gold being one of the worst ones as far as its ease of manipulation. I also think oil and natural gas are also manipulated by things like OPEC and you know the United States government. But be that as it may, just because something is manipulated, does not mean that the asset does not have value. There is still value in oil. There is still value in gold. And by God almighty, the most value that I see is still in Bitcoin. So when people like Peter Schiff start saying, look, it's manipulated. Well, gold's been manipulated. I mean, come on. Just stack your sats, hodl on, and let's roll. 3XNBA champion Andre Igudala, I guess that's how you pronounce it, becomes the latest athlete to receive salary in crypto. You spelled Bitcoin wrong, Zion Sun from Cointelegraph, because it is Bitcoin and not fucking crypto. On a Monday afternoon, Andre, three-time NBA champion and professional basketball player for the Golden State Warriors, announced via Twitter that he would be taking a portion of his estimated $2.64 million annual salary in Bitcoin. And they finally actually write Bitcoin, even though the headline says crypto. What does that tell you about Cointelegraph? Pieces of shit, I guarantee you. In addition, Andre added that he will give out, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> He will give out $1 million worth of BTC to fans to increase the digital currency's adoption. Payments were said to be facilitated by Blocks, formerly Square, Cash App. Uh, Andre joins the growing list of celebrities, athletes, influencers, and government officials who are doing the same thing. At least seven NFL players are currently choosing Bitcoin over cash salaries. Last year, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez and New York City Mayor Eric Adams said that they would take their paychecks in BTC, with Suarez taking it up a notch by investing in BTC with his 401k retirement savings as well. Taking paychecks in BTC or other crypto could potentially benefit both employers and employees alike. For starters, companies with large percentages of international workers would not need their staff's private banking information, nor have to make costly, slow turnaround wire transfers to make payments. In addition, it would save employees the trouble of moving their fiat funds to crypto exchanges for investments as they can readily swap the digital currencies they receive for the one that they wish. Volatility issues are already easily resolved. Employees who are skeptical or bearish on coins near-term movements can simply exchange their crypto paychecks to stable coins the instant, they, the instant they receive them via a wallet or exchange. So we got a lot of people in the NBA that are starting to announce that they are taking their payments in, in Bitcoin. Again, I'm, I'm becoming more and more distressed by publications like Cointelegraph who use the word crypto in their headlines and then resolve that to Bitcoin in the body of the article. I don't think that's ethical. They should have said three-time NBA champion Andre Iguada becomes the latest athlete to receive salary in Bitcoin. I don't know why they're doing this. I guess it's for clickbait. But at one point or another, we're going to have to start getting some ethics under our bellies and just deal with the fallout that maybe we don't get as many clicks. Because telling the truth is much more important 
Just saying, man. I'm just saying. Okay, so um, a single inactive volcano has a 90% chance of powering El Salvador's Bitcoin city, according to President. Um, and they're obviously talking about Bukele here. Turner writes, got it for Cointelegraph. Let's hope they don't fuck this shit up. Uh, uh, side note, I am just astounded at Naive Bukele's Twitter game. He ran over Steve Hankey with a fucking truck the other day, and I laughed my ass off ridiculously hard. I did what I could to propagate that through uh, Gitter and Mastodon, but I'm not really getting much traction over there on, on those uh, platforms, so whatever. I'm, I'm not going to cry about it. <clears throat> El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele has claimed officials will be able to use geothermal energy from one of the country's inactive volcanoes to power its Bitcoin City project. In a Sunday notice, Bukele said there was a 90% probability of using the Conchuaga volcano to supply 42 megawatts, which is enough to provide energy to the entire Bitcoin city, according to the president. The Salvadoran leader said the state-owned electrical company La Geo was continuing to increase its production of geothermal power from different volcanoes in the country, with one of the sites believed capable of producing 95 megawatts. Conchuaga, located near El Salvador's eastern border and overlooking the Gulf of Fonseca, has had no confirmed historical eruptions. According to Bukele, should the power consumption of the country's planned Bitcoin city exceed the volcano's capacity, it can be sourced from other sites. He said any energy surplus would also be used for Bitcoin mining to add to El Salvador's coffers. Bukele has previously announced several crypto buys totaling 1,391 BTC, more than 57.7 million at the time of publication following the, pre, the, ah, following the brief price drop to under 40,000. Bukele first proposed having Legio make some of its facilities available to BTC miners in June, shortly after announcing his intention to make the crypto asset legal tender. In November, El Salvador's president said the country planned to launch a Bitcoin city funded by $1 billion in BTC bonds. Both crypto exchanges, Bitfinex and Blockstream, have said they plan to support the initiative. The president aims for Bitcoin City to become fully functional, a fully functional city with jobs in tourism, construction, commerce, and engineering. Residents will reportedly pay no capital gains, income, property, or payroll taxes. It should be noted here, and this is the end of the article, but it should be noted that Bitfinex and Blockstream aren't just supporting the initiative. They're basically the two companies that are going to facilitate the whole damn thing. Unless there's somebody else involved that I don't know about, it is going to be Blockstream uh, as the facilitator of the tech, and Bitfinex will be the exchange the bonds are traded upon. So it's not just that they're going to support the initiative. Basically, they're the other two sides of the whole damn initiative itself. Now, uh, government reports uh, suggest tightening regulations on crypto ATMs. So for all of you who are like going, oh, well, I can just uh, buy it at an ATM and get KYC free Bitcoin. Eh, maybe not, maybe not for much longer. This is always going to be a battle. So do not be disheartened, boys and girls. Cheyenne Ligon has this one for Coindesk. The use of crypto payments to facilitate illegal and drug, human and drug trafficking is rising and the government accountability office is blaming crypto kiosks. Honestly, we really don't even need to read anymore, but we will because there's some fucked up shit in here. But you see which way this is going, okay? In a new study released on Monday, the, <clears throat> the GAO, Government Accountability Office, uh, highlighted that the kiosks, also called crypto ATMs, were partly responsible for a surge uh, because the machines are less regulated than crypto exchanges and transactions are more difficult to trace. Quote, as crypto market usage expands, FBI officials said they expect to see an increase in the use of virtual currency kiosks for illicit purposes, including for human and drug trafficking, the report said. The agency suggested that the IRS and Financial Crimes Enforcement Network should work together and take a firmer hand in regulating the kiosks. The report examined the use of cryptocurrencies in global trafficking operations and how U.S. agencies, including the United States Postal Service, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the IRS 
are countering the rise of crypto facilitated crime. It's there's no rise people. The GAO also considered the challenges agencies face in fighting crypto crime, finding that a pervasive lack of information, especially about crypto kiosks, also known as ATMs, was interfering with law enforcement's ability to identify and stop criminals. Because that's apparently all we are, is just a whole 7.8 billion planet-wide population of fucking money launderers and criminals. I swear to God, we all suck. The GAO's findings that crypto-enabled crime is rising are at odds with the new report from crypto research firm Chainalysis, which found that although crypto crime is increasing by volume, it reached an all-time low as a percentage of all blockchain transactions in 2021. In other words... As cryptocurrencies have become more mainstream, crypto crime will continue to rise, but the growth in above-board crypto transactions is outpacing illicit activities. The GAO report found that crypto can be used as a payment method for human trafficking, but is more common in payments to sex traffickers. Citing research from Polaris, a U.S.-based nonprofit that seeks to end human trafficking, the GAL's report said that of 40 major online commercial sex markets which may be used to facilitate sex trafficking, over half, 23 out of 40, accepted cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. The increasing adoption of crypto payments for online sex marketplaces can, according to the GAL, be attributed to the difficulties of accepting credit and debit card payments, something that was seen last year when sex-focused content subscription service OnlyFans decided to ban porn after facing pressure from banks. The decision was ultimately reversed after OnlyFans received public backlash from its fans. The GAL's report said that after the demise of the online dark web marketplace Silk Road in 2013, the overall dark web marketplace for illegal drugs has become more stable and harder for law enforcement to detect due to the proliferation of smaller marketplaces. Quote, when law enforcement shuts down one marketplace, criminals can easily move operations to other established marketplaces. This doesn't mean the government is unable to seize crypto used in drug trafficking. In 2021 alone, the IRS seized $3.5 billion in crypto, $1 billion of which was tied to Silk Road. During its investigation, the GAL found that of all ICE investigations that involve crypto, 36% related to drug trafficking. For the IRS, a quarter of its crypto investigations were drug-related. And for the USPS, a whopping 85% of the agency's crypto seizures involved drug trafficking. According to the GAO report, drug cartels and transnational criminal organizations are increasingly using virtual currency because of its perceived anonymity and as a more efficient method to move money across international borders. Though the report highlights that the most common method of money laundering, bulk cash smuggling and trade-based money laundering, haven't changed, crypto is becoming a more common way to move money across borders without attracting the attention of law enforcement. The GAO attributed the increasing popularity of crypto-enabled money laundering to the less regulated kiosks, which offer more anonymity-enhancing features. Quote, money couriers deposit large volumes of cash from illegal drug proceeds into a kiosk to convert the value to virtual currency. Once the illicit proceeds are in this form, the funds can easily be transferred to another virtual currency's, currency user's wallet, reducing the risk associated with transporting bulk currencies. The GAL specific issue with crypto kiosks is that though kiosk operators must register with FinCEN, they do not have to regularly update any law enforcement agency about the location of their kiosks. That limits federal agencies' ability to identify kiosks in areas that have been designated as high risk for financial crimes. By tightening regulation of these crypto kiosks, the GAL believes that law enforcement will be able to obtain improved information and be better able to identify potentially illicit transactions. The GAL provided two recommendations to the IRS and FinCEN on how to improve the regulation of crypto kiosks. The report suggested that the director of FinCEN and the commissioner of the IRS simultaneously review the money services business registration requirements for crypto kiosks and other exchanges and consider new requirements for kiosk operators to regularly update law enforcement on the physical addresses of those kiosks. According to the GAO, the IRS and FinCEN concurred with the recommendations. So here it comes. 
it's coming guys it's coming they're going to go after the atms as well they're going to go after everything that they can so what happens after that well <laughs> you're going to have some dude selling hot dogs on the side of the road in new orleans good hot dogs by the way on the side of the road in new orleans especially down in the french quarter if you haven't gotten one you got to go get one but they're going to basically take cash they're going to start taking cash and they're just going to start exchanging it for bitcoin i guarantee it and yes they'll get popped uh, and but it's you know, it's just going to start happening it, it, it as this is the thing that's really great about bitcoin as law enforcement squeeze their hands the mud that they're trying to squeeze just slips through their fingers and becomes smaller and smaller and smaller little granules of mud they be it it forces decentralization through the actions of the irs fincen the gal uh the post office uh ice uh, all the all these law enforcement uh facilities they themselves will decentralize that which they seek to control it is a beautiful system it is a natural system by the way this is inherent in nature trying to do something outside of the boundaries of nature always result in nature winning so here's this is what's going to happen as they squeeze the decentralization we wish for will be provided to us through the very mechanism of the very associations we wish to destroy isn't that beautiful isn't it just great i love that sec chair gensler sidesteps question about ethereum status as a security i don't it is a security if you were to ask me is ethereum a security my answer is a resounding yes ethereum and all the rest of this bullshit are in fact securities under the definition of the howey act sec chair gary gensler today didn't give an answer on whether or not ethereum is a security but he did say that if someone or something is raising money from the public it could potentially meet that definition quote we don't get involved in these types of public forums talking about any one project one possible circumstance or give legal advice over the airwaves that way he said on cnbc when asked whether ethereum was a security he then added that if you're raising money from the public and the public is in anticipation of profit based upon that promoter sponsor or that group's efforts that is within the securities law a security is a tradable financial asset that has monetary value like stocks or bonds that meets a specific legal definition as outlined by the so-called howey test under u.s law an asset meets the definition of a security if it is an investment of money in a common enterprise from which there is an expectation of profit based on that enterprise's efforts the sec previously said that it does not consider bitcoin uh, to be a security but has weighed down on other cryptocurrencies such as ripples xrp the sec in december 2020 hit the creator of the eighth largest digital asset by market cap with a 1.3 billion dollar lawsuit a case that is still ongoing most crypto market participants have operated since at least june 2018 believing that the sec likely does not consider ethereum a security either even though the asset was sold in 2014 through a public ico sale that would today likely be considered an unregistered securities offering in june of 2018 william hinman the former director of the sec division of corporate finance said that he believed ethereum since its sale had become sufficiently decentralized is now therefore not a security yeah he's wrong but the sec of today under gary gensler might take a harder stance the former investment banker who once taught a blockchain and bitcoin course at M mit wants to stiffen the rules that govern the crypto market and it has some of the crypto world sweating for instance gensler has said that he believes thousands of cryptocurrency uh, in the ethereum DeFi space are operating as indeed unregistered securities 
In today's interview with CNBC, Ginsler added that there needs to be basic regulation in place to protect investors from lies and fraud, and that if the public is expecting a profit from an investment, they need to receive all proper legal disclosures. That means a full-blown published prospectus, ladies and gentlemen, in case you're not exactly sure what that fucking language means. There was never a prospectus for Ethereum. And the reason they did that is they didn't even want to come close to looking like it was a security, even though it is 100% a security, and that's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Tuesday. It's joke time. Dad says jokes. I gave my friend an apple, and he told me he prefers pears. So I gave him another apple. Get it? Pears. I need them in pairs. Oh, well, whatever. Again, if you want to uh, support the show, and I do hope that you do, please, a five-star review on Apple iTunes is one of the very best ways to do that. Also, any podcasting 2.0 app that allows you to fire me sats while I fire you these dulcet tones, that is also one of my very, very favorite ways because I can actually watch the sats stream into my lightning node, which is sitting about two feet away from me. Um, that is, and the I think the reason that that is so exciting and remains so exciting, even though I've been doing it for well over a year now, um, is because of what it means. You know, the value for value model is coming and you should probably get used to how, how does this thing actually work? How do I set up a wallet? How do I, how do I do all the things so that I can support my favorite podcaster and in the future videographer? I won't say YouTuber because YouTube is never going to install a situation where you can stream your favorite YouTuber sats. It's going to be something different. It's going to be like a peer tuber or something like that. You know, you got, Bitcoin TV uh, uh, from um, Matt O'Dell, at one point or another, they are going to launch the ability to support the videos that they have on Bitcoin TV directly through the Lightning Network. At least that's, that's what he said, and there's no reason not to believe Matt. Generally speaking, every time he says he's going to do something at one point or another, that shit gets done. So expect to see it on there. I also expect to see software companies start licensing their software packages in a way that allows you to just stream sats while you're using the package for the length of time that you use them. I suggested this to the guys over at Sphinx Chat, like uh, I think about like almost coming up on two years ago because they hadn't thought about it. But I believe that that is yet another way. Of course, streaming videos like, you know, uh, Hulu and all that kind of stuff. But one of my favorite aspects of all this is something like uh, a 3D animation package. Those things are, those things can be very expensive unless you're using Blender. It's not that I don't like Blender. I like what they're trying to do, but it's very, very hard to get a massive amount of quality shoved into one of those packages when it's free open source software because it's hard to, you know, it's hard to support the develop or it's hard for the developers to get support. It just is. I don't know why. It just it just fucking is. Nobody wants to spend their money, especially right now, because it's like, oh my God, I don't want to let another Satoshi go. And that becomes a, a very non-winnable situation when you think about it. Um, which is why I want these guys to stop suppressing, stop, stop doing their artificial derivatives trading of Bitcoin to try to keep the price under, you know, $45,000. Just let it go so I can pay these people in either event. The, the point is, is that if I could turn on something like uh, my favorite uh, 3D animation package right now and, and has been for a long, long time is SideFX software Houdini. This thing's got everything in it. And yes, you can get a free package of it, a free version of it, but you can only render it 720, you know, 720 by, I can't remember what it is. I want to say 720 by, oh, what the hell is it? I can't remember the, the, uh, the thing, but it's, it's, it's uh, resolution locked. 
So you're you're never gonna do a four, you know, you're never gonna do a four K render off of you know off of this animation package. So you can't use it professionally. Um, but you can learn how to use it for free. You can um, get the whole package and do all the stuff and all the things with it. And it's not locked down except for exporting files and doing renders. Okay, those two things are what they lock down. Everything else, dude, you can do whatever the fuck you want. However, I would like it to where I could, you know, just work in, you know, possibly work in the, uh, just to build up a scene, to build a model, to animate the model, to light the model, to put textures and, and shaders and what stuff, you know, whatnot on the model and do all that in the free, in the free version. And then when it comes time to render, it says, would you like to stream Satoshi's for this render? And while it's rendering, you're going to pay Satoshi's and, you know, and then yes, absolutely. I would, I would love to do that. Or they could say, look, you can do everything, but you can't do particle physics. So would you like to attach a, your blue wallet to your profile for this package? And you can open up using the particle, uh, the particle physics by streaming Satoshi's at some, at some predetermined rate. All these things are coming and they're all really exciting, which is one of the reasons why I just absolutely adore podcasting 2.0 because it's the entry point into all of that. It's not going to just be about podcasting. It's not going to be just about video making and video streaming and all that shit. It's going to be for services. It's going to be for things like me running 3D animation packages. It's going to be me using network analysis graphs and streaming Satoshi's instead instead of having to pay $19 a month for something I might use one time that month. So get into podcasting 2.0. Let it be your diving board into the pool of the future. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.